Would you turn with me, please, to Proverbs 31? Proverbs 31. I announced that text in the uh, first service, and there was an audible groan from the women. And oh no, now he's going to take out after us. Most of us uh, believe that it's the Greeks who uh, taught us to think. Um, Aristotle taught us logic, Socrates, his method. But that's really not true. The, uh, the Hebrews were the original thinkers. One of the purposes of the, uh, of the book of Proverbs is to make us mentally uh, acute, mentally aware. It, it, it not only, the Proverbs not only enhance our, our moral outlook, but uh, they help us to think more profoundly. That's said to be one of the purposes of, of the book of Proverbs in, in the introduction, which uh, Solomon gives to the entire collection. They are masters at turning a phrase. Proverbs 31 is not what you think it is. The, the writer of Proverbs subverts us by surprise. Uh, this is a pattern that you find repeated over and over again in the Old Testament particularly in the wisdom literature, but you find it in other portions of that uh, part of the Bible as well. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, for example, says to young men, young men, go for broke. Uh, live on the edge. Race your motorcycles across the desert. Learn to hang glide. Learn how to fly. Live adventurously. But uh, know that God will bring you into judgment. <laughs> That's the twist. Live on the edge, but know that we have to live responsibly because that isn't all there is to lie. One of these days, we have to stand before God. Sure, go for all the gusto. But uh, someday, we have to stand before God. That's why he says to young men, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Live adventurously, but don't forget God. That's the point. Drives it home with that... The twist. He gets our expectations going in one direction and then he changes on us and it drives home the point of the proverb. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is another example of this sort of thing. It's the story of Micaiah, the son of Imlah. Not very well known. He was a prophet during the reign of King Ahab, who was king of the northern kingdom, Jezebel's husband. Ahab was a wicked king. He... Uh, in, in 1 Kings 22, we're told that he intended to go to war against the Arameans, and so he called his friend Jehoshaphat, who was king of Judah, the southern kingdom, and invited him to participate in the war. Jehoshaphat said, my army is as your army. In other words, we'll follow you into battle. But, he said, we need to seek counsel from the Lord. Ahab says, well, we've got a lot of counselors around here. So he gathers the 400 prophets of Baal, and uh, universally, to a man, they say, attack and you will be victorious. Jehoshaphat says, wait a minute, isn't there a prophet of Yahweh here? Ahab says, oh yeah, we have one of those. But I don't like him, because he never tells me anything good. Jehoshaphat says, you don't say. We better hear from this fellow. So they bring Jehoshaphat out of the prison. That's where he spent most of his time. And uh, on the way, uh, his guard said, Micaiah... Or excuse me, I said Jehoshaphat. They brought Micaiah out of the prison. And on the way, the guard says, Micaiah, 
Don't prophesy anything evil because everyone is in agreed that uh, we ought to go to war. Micaiah says, well, I just have to say what God tells me. So he walked into the courtroom and Ahab said, tell us, should we go to war with the Arameans? Micaiah says, with a twinkle in his eye, attack and you'll be victorious. Ahab says, now wait a minute. <laughs> That's not what I thought you'd say. Speak the truth. And Micaiah said, if you go up, Israel will be scattered like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, Ahab would lose his life, and they would lose the war. That's precisely what happened. Just that deft little turn. Go up, and you'll be victorious. God is attention, see. Now, that's what you have in Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 is not what you think it is. There's a twist. He gets our expectations going in one direction, and then he subverts us by surprise. Now, you see if you can catch it. Turn with me to this uh, proverb, if you have not yet done so. And let's begin reading with verse 1 of chapter 31. This is said to be the sayings of King Lemuel, whom we know nothing about. He, he wasn't a king of Israel or Judah. It's unknown to us. But he is a king. Most of these sayings, these uh, proverbial sayings, emanated from the court. Wisdom came from the counselors and the wise men in the court and then were taught to the rest of uh, the nation. It's said to be an oracle, which his mother taught him. The word for oracle is the word that's used throughout the Old Testament for a revelation from God. So this is not merely motherly advice. This is a revelation. This is truth. The word stresses uh, the weight of the saying. The word really means to be heavy, to be a burden. So uh, to use our modern-day idiom, this is heavy. This is weighty. Listen up to the teachings of this, uh, of this mother. Lemuel's named, his mother is not, but that's the way it always is. Mother, mothers never get credit for anything they do. They usually are anonymous. But this is a mother whose wisdom is profound. Now, some of the translations say, What, O my son? What, O son of my womb? What, O son of my vows? And someone has pointed out that this is the first biblical reference to, to a hearing impairment. Um... Mothers uh, do lose their hearing early, if not their minds. Probably a little limb played a stereo too loud. But uh, really the point is, uh, in asking the question, is to draw his attention to the answer. This is what I have to say. What do I have to say to you? This is it. Do not spend your strength on women and your vigor on those, the pronoun is feminine, those who ruin kings. Good advice. Uh, there are good women and there are bad women. There are some women who will take your breath away and there are some women who will take your life away. And that's the point that, that Lim's mother wants to make. In fact, that's the point of view of much of the book of Proverbs. The law, the Torah, that is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, center upon what sin does in terms of our relationship to God. Sin according to the law is against God. Sin according to the wisdom literature is against yourself. Sin is suicidal. Sin makes you an underachiever. And uh, the advice 
more than that, the revelation which she, she hands on to her son is that some women will take your life away from you. As Augustine said, there's nothing like the caresses of a woman to draw a, spirit, a man's spirit down. The wrong woman. But there are good women. And it's that that she draws his attention to in verses 10 through 31. Now, I know some people say that this is another proverb, which is not a part of the oracle, which uh, King Lemuel's mother taught. But uh, for myself, I see no reason not to attribute this, uh, this teaching to her. This is the teaching of a wise mother. Now, let's read it. An excellent wife who can find... For she is always out jogging. (laughs) The heart of her third husband trusts in her, for she has signed a prenuptial contract. She has come a long way, baby. She takes her husband out every Saturday night. She stretches out her hands to everything from oil painting lessons to oil filter changes. Her husband is known for his sharing of household responsibilities, and he pretends to be unthreatened by her success. Her children rise up and call her at the office. Her husband also, and he pampers her, saying, Many women have wimpy husbands, but you excel them all. Charm is insincere and beauty is expensive, but a woman who has it all will be resented. Uh, I didn't write that. I wish I had. That's great. That's Marcia Hornack's parody of the modern with it woman that came from the Wittenberg door. If you want the unexpurgated version, it's in the door. Now let's read the text. Makes more sense. A wife of noble character who can find she is worth far more than rubies. Uh, the, the, in my translation, it calls her a wife of noble character. Uh, it's the same word that's used in verse 3 for a man's strength. It literally is the word for strength or power in the Old Testament. This is a powerful woman. This is a strong woman. This is no weakling. Uh, this is woman. <laughs> Peter refers to women as the weaker vessel, and a lot of men misunderstand that uh, statement as though Peter is saying men are strong and women are weak. But if you pay attention to the wording of Peter's statement, he uses the comparative, not the absolute degree. In many ways, men are weak, and in some ways men may be weaker, but but men are not strong and women are not weak. That's not the point that the Bible makes. And there's no reason why women cannot be strong. This is a strong woman. Later on, she is described as a woman of strength, a different Hebrew word, a word that means power over circumstances. She's not done in by adversity. She is tough, and she is dignified. That is, she's poised. She doesn't fall apart. She doesn't get rattled when uh, things are not working out. She's not unstrung by circumstances. She's tough. That's what he's talking about here. A strong woman of noble, regal character. Who can find? Now, he's not voicing pessimism in that question. It's not as though he's saying a good woman is impossible to find, that she's hard to find. 
She's rare. She's like a jewel. As a matter of fact, the word that he uses is the word for a pearl, and pearls were exceedingly rare in the ancient world. Uh, one of the earlier Proverbs, Proverbs 18.22, says uh, that uh, a, a good woman is, is from the Lord. It's his choice. And he who finds her finds a good thing. The uh, early rabbis used to ask the question at an Israeli wedding, Have you found? Have you found the woman? Of Proverbs uh, 31 and Proverbs 18.22 that's from the Lord. See, she's not impossible to find. She's just a little hard to find. And when you find her... King Lemuel's mother says, cherish her. She is precious. She's the most valuable thing that that you could possess. Her husband, he says, has full confidence in her. That that word is only used here in the Old Testament for someone other than God. In every other case, our confidence is in God. It's a word for trust or faith in the Old Testament. Her husband trusts her. He believes in her. She's faithful to him. And he lacks nothing of value. If he has a woman like this, he has it all. May not be too successful in his career. May not have a great deal of money. But if he has a good woman, he's got it all. She's worthy of praise, is his point. She's worth more than your new shotgun. <laughs> She's worth more than your, uh, than your business. She's worth more than your estate, your assets your investments. Uh, she, she's worth more than anything you have. She's the most valuable commodity in the world. You see what he's saying? But treat her that way. Cherish her. Uh, she brings him good and not harm all the days of her life. She doesn't create problems for him. She doesn't run up his credit card accounts. She doesn't make decisions that uh, impair the financial uh, uh, ability and position of the of the family. She's not foolish. Uh, she does him good. She's good for him. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. There's an old uh, Arab proverb that says the wise woman always has wool and flax. And most commentators are agreed that this this saying goes back to a very ancient idea in the world that in the ancient world that. Uh, good woman always has the raw materials for homemaking on hand. In other words, her, her cupboard is never bare. She always has the materials that she needs to do the things that need to be done in, in the family, and she works with eager hands. As some of the translations put it, I think a little more accurately, she works with her hands with pleasure. The idea is she isn't negative. She doesn't gripe and complain about what she has to do. She isn't always... Uh, uh, she isn't sour. She doesn't act like she's been baptized in lemon juice. She's positive and thankful and appreciative. She's eager to work. Uh, she's like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still dark and provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. Uh, the word for food in verse uh, 15, I believe it is. Is literally means freshly plucked vegetables. In those days when they didn't have refrigeration, homemaker had to get up early in the morning and get down to the market and buy for the day. And if you slept in, uh, you would get the picked over fruit and melons and vegetables, the brown lettuce and the, the uh, bruised melons and 
those sorts of things. So you got up real early in the morning so you could get the best. Uh, she provides portions or instructions. It's the word that's used all through the Old Testament for written instructions for her, uh, either her servants or her own daughters. The, the text is a little bit indefinite. It could be simply the word for young women, or it is the word for young women, which could refer to her daughters. Or since this is a royal lady, a queen, and she would have the means to uh, hire servant girls, this could refer to her organizational ability. She makes a list of things to be done and writes it out. She considers a field and buys it out of her earnings. She plants a vineyard, so she's a prudent investor. She is not merely a homemaker, but she is a businesswoman as well. She sets uh, about her work vigorously, and her arms are strong for her tasks. The, the, she is aggressive. She takes the initiative. She doesn't wait for things to happen to her. She makes things happen. Uh, she sees that her trading, or actually when her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night, she looks for the best time to buy and sell. She's aware of the market. She's a very astute business person. She has a good business head. So she, she trades at the right time, and if necessary, she burns the midnight oil in order to make whatever preparation is necessary for that trade. Uh, in her hand, she holds the distaff. That's a stick that they wound the wool and the flax on. It's come to be an adjective now in English referring to the uh, female side of things. The, a woman's domain, but in those days it was a noun referred to the stick that held the wool and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She worked uh, at the loom. She, she opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. Uh, she not only is aware of the needs of her family, but she's aware of the needs of those outside her family, the poor, the oppressed. Um, I can still remember my mother feeding poor blacks that were field workers. They were cotton pickers that lived close to our, to our house, and they'd gather in our backyard under the trees, and I'd sit on the back porch and talk to them. My mother would bring food, cook things for them, and bring them out uh, to them. That's the sort of thing that's described here. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. No one knows precisely what the word that's translated scarlet means. It's a word that implies some kind of multiple red coverings, probably red underwear. They have no fear in the cold because they're clothed in scarlets, literal scarlet something or other that's uh, very warm. She makes coverings for her bed. She is an interior decorator. That's the word for coverlets or quilts. She, she sews quilts. Decorates her home, makes it a uh, beautiful place in which to live. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. She's not uh, austere. She is uh, well-dressed. Joyce uh, Eamon assures me she is a winter. Uh, That's not a small thing, you know, the... uh, Women, your men work in a world full of beautiful women who have a lot of time to make themselves look uh, very nice. And uh, your men come home, and if you look like a tree full of owls when you show up at the door, or something that the cat dragged in through the back door, uh, if you're dressed in your bathrobe and your hair looks like an explosion in a mattress factory, 
That's not good. Verse 23, her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. He, he's not hassled by problems at home. Uh, he, he, can, he can occupy himself with his vocation without being unduly concerned about the children and, and the home. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She not only sews and provides for her own family, but uh, she sells her merchandise, and that provides the capital to make the investments that are described earlier in verse 16. By the way, uh, commentators always struggle with the order of events because there doesn't seem to be any, uh, any organization to this list of attributes, and there isn't. It's higgly-piggly. The reason is because the, psalm, uh, the, song is an, uh, the proverb is an acrostic. It's based on the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And each verse begins with a different letter of the alphabet, starting with, with Aleph in Hebrew, or A, uh, and going to the 22nd letter, Tau. So this is actually the, the A to Zs of, 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 uh, of womanhood. This is, I think, a mnemonic device. It's, a, it's set up this way so that it's easily remembered it's memorable it isn't for us but it would be for the Hebrews but that explains why there seems to be no order to it it's, uh, it's arranged according to the alphabet rather than by topics uh, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes she is clothed with strength and dignity so she has power over her circumstances as I mentioned and she is also poised she can laugh at the day after literally the days to come She's not uptight about the future. She's peaceful and relaxed. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Uh, Proverbs, uh, the book of Proverbs has much to say about a woman's office in the home, that of teaching children. Not only does the father teach, but so does the mother. She is to impart wisdom to the family, and we men must listen. She's also to teach younger women. Paul makes that very clear. The older women are to teach the younger women how to love their husbands and how to be a homemaker. So she has a place, an extremely significant place within the body. She speaks with wisdom and, and faithful instruction, that is, instruction about loyalty to God, faith, trust, and confidence in him. Uh, that's on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her husband. Peter says she looks here and there. She is alert to everything that's going on. She has eyes in the back of her head. She's aware of where the children are and what they're doing. And like Brian, our, our son, says, you can fool some of the people all the time and all the people some of the time, but you can't fool mom. Uh, she does not eat the bread of idleness. She doesn't sit around and read gothic novels all day and watch soaps. She is busy. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. And then the substance of his praise is in verse 29. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. That's, that's the praise that's on his lips. The word for praise here is the word for hallelujah. He says hallelujah every time he thinks about it. You know, we men get a lot of feedback, both negative and positive. Our women get very little. We take for granted 
the things that they do around the house. We need to express our appreciation. We need to let them know where they are in our thinking, that they are precious to us. This man does that. He praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. And then the punchline. Charm is deceitful or deceptive, and beauty is fleeting or vain, empty. But a woman who is a participle keeps on fearing the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned. In other words, give her the credit for her achievements, for her success, and let her works bring her praise in the city gate. There ought to be a public acclamation of appreciation for a woman like this, not only privately, but publicly. always grieves me to hear women, hear men run down their wives. That's so sad. Criticize them in the home or criticize them publicly. We should never do that. They need to be built up and encouraged, and we need to express our appreciation for what they do for us. They work hard. Just hang around the house all day and do what they do, gentlemen, and you'll appreciate that. They work hard. And we need to tell them how much we appreciate them. Now, uh, there it is. There's uh, Wonder Woman. Now, she's a privileged woman. There's There's no question about that. She's a queen, so she has affluence and influence that most women don't have. But she's also superwoman. I don't think she represents any particular woman. She's a composite of all of the characteristics that uh, one ought to find in a, in a mate. And the question is, who can measure up? Do you know anybody that measures up? Do you measure up? Well, I think that's where the twist comes in. Look at verse 30. What would you expect... If, if the conclusion were logical, what would you expect? Charm is deceptive, and beauty is vain. But the woman who does all of these things is to be praised. That's what you would expect. But here's where he turns the corner on us. He builds up our expectations in one direction, and then he twists us around. We walk right into his le- her, her left hook. <laughs> you see? She subverts us by surprise. Because what women need to focus on is not the acquisition of these qualifications, but rather to focus upon God himself. Because it's the worship, it's the fear of God, which, as you know, is the Old Testament word for worship of God. It's love for God, it's devotion to him, it's dependence upon him that will make you the kind of woman that you want to be. See, the problem is that women read the wrong books. They read Ladies' Home Journal. They read Cosmopolitan. They read Glamour magazine. They read Sunset magazine. There's nothing wrong with reading those magazines, but that becomes their preoccupation. And so they set about to make their house like the houses in House Beautiful, Home Beautiful. Uh, They they set the table like they do in Family Circle. And uh, they try to make themselves look like the women in Glamour magazine, and they get depressed if they can't. And who can uh, you see, they're, they're preoccupied with the wrong things. The point of this proverb, this is why this is such wise counsel, is that this woman says, all right, do you want to be this kind of woman? Then learn to love the Lord. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, 
but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. That's what you have to center on, is knowing God and loving Him. And isn't that exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18? When he says, we all, men and women, beholding is in a, uh, with unveiled face, that is, with no sham, no pretense, no hypocrisy, not covering up, totally transparent, we with open faces, beholding is in a glass that is like someone scrutinizing their face in a mirror. The glory of the Lord are changed from one degree of glory to the next, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You see, it's by looking at the face of the Lord that we begin to be like Him. We begin to acquire His charity, His chastity, His thrift, His industry. You see, all of the, quali- all of the characteristics of the noble wife here are characteristics of God. He's thrifty, he's energetic, he's compassionate, he's concerned, he's always at work on our behalf, he has a servant's heart. And so if you want to be like this woman, then look at God. Behold the face of Jesus, and you will be changed from one degree of likeness to the next. You see? You've got to read the right book. I was over in Sun Valley the other day. I, I'm getting where I really dislike Sun Valley. Sun Valley is a distillation of everything that's wrong with the world, in my opinion. Uh, I feel like Jonah. If God ever called me to Sun Valley, I'd catch the next plane to Seattle. <laughs> But uh, Carolyn and I were over there fishing a couple of weeks ago. We had to go into town to get some groceries. And I wandered into the, into the grocery store. And everybody in Sun Valley looks alike. You ever notice that? They all look alike. There's a uniform that you wear. Everybody has the same uh, depth of tan. They all look the same. And uh, there are a lot of very, very beautiful women. And I was looking around the grocery store. I, I have a, uh, I must confess, a kind of a strange mind. And it suddenly struck me. I certainly would hate to be a woman living in Sun Valley. Because in the first place, if I were a woman, I would be real ugly. <laughs> An ugly woman in, in Sun Valley is dead. You don't have a chance. And I thought of an old Janice Ian song. Some of you will remember back in the early 70s, 73, 74, Janice Ian wrote the song At 17. Do you remember that? Painful, poignant song. There's just a line from that that stuck in my mind, but here's the first verse. I learned the truth at 17 that love was meant for beauty queens and high school girls with clear skin smiles who married young and then retired. The Valentines I never knew The Friday night charades of youth were spent on one more beautiful. At 17, I learned the truth. And those of us with ravaged faces, lacking all the social graces, desperately remained at home, inventing lovers on the phone. Now, as you know, she goes on to conclude that uh, the beautiful girls sell out in, in high school, and so do the ugly ones. So that she has no real answer to the problem. But see, again, she's focusing on the wrong thing. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. 
Got to read the right books. Got to concentrate on the right things. Now, there's nothing wrong with beautifying your home, and there's nothing wrong with beautifying yourself. Those are legitimate aims and goals. And there's nothing wrong with women being involved in business enterprises outside the home. And there's nothing wrong with being a homemaker, for goodness sake. There's nothing wrong with being a good mother and working hard at that task. But those are all secondary. The primary thing is knowing God. So let me encourage you with that fact that you don't have to be this way. This is not where you begin. You focus on God. And you ask Him to change you. And may I say something to us men, too, as well? We, we read the wrong books, too, you know? We need to get it straight. What really matters is our, our wives' relationship to God. And we need to encourage them in that. Give them time. Give them whatever money they need for resources. It may even mean taking time from things that we would prefer that they would do around the house in order to spend time getting to know God and grow in, in the knowledge of Him. And then, of course, we need to be pattern setters. The, uh, our wives get their, uh, get their clues from us. And if we're not men of the Word, if we're not getting up in the morning or whenever uh, we have time to spend during the day and spending time in the Word, what, what sort of example are we setting? We must set an example for our families. And then I, I believe we must pray with our wives. I find it so hard for men to do. I don't know why, but it is. In fact, if I were to take a poll, I'd find it, almost every one of you men find it difficult to pray with your wives. And because it's so difficult, we tend to shrink from it. But what an encouragement that is to them, to center on God. See, the world has it backwards. They talk about the holiness of beauty. What God teaches us is about the beauty of holiness. And that's the beauty that we need to help our wives pursue. Let's pray. Father, all of us have learned the, uh, the despair that comes from trying to change ourselves apart from your grace. We've tried hard to please you or to, to please someone, and we failed over and over again. We... Uh, we ask forgiveness for those, those efforts done in the flesh, done in dependence upon our unaided humanity. We need you, Lord. We need your strength. We need your character. We need all that you are for all that you've called us to be. Help us, Lord, to, to love you with all of our hearts and all of our souls, all of our mind and all of our strength. Help us as men to know how to encourage our wives on in their, their pursuit of holiness. Help us to support and encourage them in every way. Keep us from being critical of their, of their activities and their actions and their attitudes and carping on things that don't really matter, decimating their sense of self-worth by our criticism. Forgive us, Lord, and help us to be supportive and encouraging. And help us to help them on to you. And I pray for the women here who I know long for a greater depth of spiritual life. Thank you that that's your long, longing as well, that you seek such to worship you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.